Welcome to Crossing Over, a conversation where we are looking and listening with curiosity for God's presence in the stories of Scripture and in our lives. I'm Sarah Nichols. And I'm Daniel Lucas. So what are we going to talk about today? (laughs) We're laughing because we record the what are you going to talk about today after we talked about it. It's very clever. It's all smoke and mirrors here, folks. (laughs) Sorry, incense and pillars of fire. (laughs) If you're numbering all the ways we're clever. Do you like puns? I mean, who doesn't? I know know people. Yeah. I think they're just pretending not to like them. Nope. I mean, maybe (laughs) most people... This person's not. This person, it's... They do not like puns. Oh, funny. You can see it on their face. <laughs> okay. Um, do you want me to give it a shot? Yeah, give it a shot. What do, what, do, what do we... Today, we're diving into the priestly blessing that is found in Numbers 6, 22 through 27. And it's actually the beginning of a series that we're going to do. So we're going to spend a few weeks here in Numbers 6 really diving deep into some of the words that are used in the priestly blessing because they are the words that are, they're some of the words that are really central to God's entire story. Words that get used again and again. So it's really helpful and important for us to know what, um, at a deeper level, what they are doing, what this blessing is putting upon us. Um, so today we start with an introduction of, of this passage, an introduction to numbers. We explore some of the setting and Um, context, and then talk about verse 27 a bit. So let's go. Today we're going to be talking about Numbers 6, 22 through 27, which is uh, otherwise known as the priestly blessing. But first of all, we want to do some introductory work so that we know where we are and what's going on. Yeah, the timing's, I mean, the timing is strange a little bit here where one of the things I noticed getting ready for this conversation, and I've just got this, <clears throat> I'm always thinking, you got to read what happens before and you got to read what happens after to know where you are. And so, you know, if you, when you read uh, chap, uh, 7 1, you know, where this heads afterwards, it says, it came to pass on the day when Moses had finished setting up the dwelling place um, and then anointing and consecrating. And that places us in like Leviticus, right. <laughs> nine-ish, ten-ish, right, where the strange fire kills the um, the s- two of the sons of uh, Aaron. Yep. So anyways, right, so like the context is important. Yeah, and I actually n- even noticed, so after 620, uh, 622 and through 27, we have, they at the end of this kind of section that's like more Levitical and priestly, they talk about it being the first moon and celebrating Passover. But at the very beginning, they say it's the second moon. So even numbers itself isn't in proper order, which I think is important for us to to remember that the Bible isn't as concerned with like A, then B, then C, then D as we are in our culture today. So The sequence the of sequ- it. Yes, yeah, sequential. <laughs> Uh, that's interesting. I mean, this is a total tangent, but who doesn't love a good rabbit trail? Um, 
Uh, John, right? Like the Gospel of John is clearly not interested in chronologically telling us a sequential story of how Jesus got from A to B. That's visible from the beginning, what John begins before time, or, you know, presumably before time, maybe even pre-Genesis 1-1 or 1-2 or whenever you want to... 1-3, right? Before God said, let there be light, it seems like is that's where John's starting. But John's not following a sequence where Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptics, follow a fairly similar um, shape. And so if if what you just said is is accurate, and I think it is, too, right? Like, oh, you have John who's writing deeply in the spirit of the of the Torah, of the Pentateuch, yeah. the first five. Yep. Which, of course, he is. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so I will say real quick, anytime that I'm teaching out of numbers... Um, I like to point this out that um, I think the Greek translators kind of did us dirty with numbers because uh, we in, uh, in, did us dirty with the naming with of the this naming book as numbers? specifically of numbers. So, um, <laughs> in our like English Bibles, we use the Greek translation for the titles of our books. In Hebrew, they use um, usually just the first word of the scroll is what the book gets end up ends up getting called. And um, I mean, honestly, Leviticus gets kind of the short end of the stick in the Greek too, but numbers uh, gets this way because the Greek scholars and translators were like, well, the whole beginning of this is all talking about numbering all the people. So let's name it numbers. It's all numbers. But who wants to read a book called numbers? I mean, it just kind of screams at you, skip over me. <laughs> it's It functions a little bit like Matthew's intro, right? Where you get this genealogy. Yeah. It's like, Ugh. Yeah. And it's called Numbers, and so you start reading it, and it's all about numbers, and you're like, I'm just going to skip to the next book. Uh, which, if anybody's read the Bible straight through in a year, this Leviticus and Numbers usually tends to get, be where people get bogged down. Right. But um, in Hebrew, this book is called Bamidbar, which means in the wilderness, which at least if you're me, that sounds so much more compelling than Numbers. And... After this first section of numbers, there's a lot of narrative things that are really interesting. And so it is not a book to be skipped over, even though the title and maybe the first 10 chapters are maybe not. No, maybe eight. First eight chapters are maybe a little bit difficult to trudge through. But once you get to chapter nine, there's some really amazing stories in there, narratives that um, are a little more compelling, perhaps for the average person. Well, and what's interesting is the word wilderness, yeah. right? So, Bamidbar, you've got two prefixes that sit on front that say ba being in, mm-hmm. um, me being, you know, from. So, it's if you parse it apart, it's in from Devar, speaking or mm-hmm. word. Yes. So, and because that's what you see what happens in the wilderness is the wilderness is where in Torah the people go to hear from God. Yeah. The and place where God speaks. The place where God speaks. And Hagar, um, a non, <coughs> she's a she's Egyptian. She's an Egyptian slave girl, and she's the first one to to meet God in the wilderness. Yeah. Yeah. I had a um. There's a group that I've been a study I've been leading for a few years. And we were doing numbers because we were like, let's let's do it, right? And so we're like, re- we're just trudging through the counting of these things. And at some point here in the beginning, it talks about the counting being for it's it, it's a mil- there's a military reason, yeah, th- to count how many um, how many men who can fight. And so we're we're taking that 
text and we're bringing it into our modern context where the women serve in our militaries. Mm -hmm. And there were a few people in the group who were a little frustrated with the, with, and I think it's good to be frustrated with, with scripture. That means you're listening to it and it's doing, and so we're like, what is going on here? And you know, what's happening? And one of the, um, one of the women in the study is brilliant. And she says, well, I know why they only counted the men and why they only sent the men out to fight. Because if they send the women, they can't have children. Mm-hmm. It's about the sacred future. And so even when we step into like looking at some of these things that are more, you know, I don't 120,000 from this tribe or that tribe, there is a story or there yeah. is something underneath and the concern for this particular moment for these particular people in this particular place is the future. And if they can't continue to have kids and grow and become, a, you know, a people, they'll disappear. Right. I'm, well said. Mm-hmm. I'll also add that if you're, if you're an Israelite in the future, you're able to look back and maybe you see your great-great-grandfather's name in here or sure. someone who you have been taught in your tradition that is a family person. So you, that helps root you in this story as well. Um, Family which, tree kind yeah, of history. Absolutely. Yeah, who, who are we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah. So, yes, it might be boring for our modern ears, but it serves a purpose. Um, yeah. I like to remember that if, if anything's in here, it matters because uh, scrolls were limited. Sure. <laughs> they were precious commodities. And so, and not everyone knew how to write. So, anything that gets recorded is. Um, and that whoever edited these stories and put them together, like they did so for a reason. This yeah. gets this stays in here for a, for a very valid reason, even if we struggle to figure out what it is. So yeah, well, the last thing I have written, I have probably twenty revisions that are saved on my computer. You would never do that then because you <laughs> you you don't get that space. It's, right, it's not a digital. It's a and they're they're camping. I mean, they're not camping, but right they're This is they're they're on a journey, so they only have the most precious things right um, with them. And then, of course, this is all oral. And what we have in front of us is a product of the exile, and the combining of right. of various scrolls or traditions together. Right. But that's the world we're living in, where those things are they matter. Yeah. And this was chanted. Yeah. And if you're curious about what Daniel just said about the compilation, mm-hmm. and I mentioned editing earlier. Um, one of the reasons we know that is because there's different styles of Hebrew that appear throughout all these uh, texts. Um, there's we can, words. We can tell they come from different time periods right. um, and probably were written by different groups. And then they were – all the different traditions were compiled at one point into what we have today. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 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 All right. Um, let's move on. Okay. Um, so one of the – one of the important questions that Daniel and I tend to ask whenever we're studying, teaching, preaching is where are we? And that applies on both the physical level, where are we? Um, and in the timeline, like where are we in the, in the timeline of the story? Um, which if we go with the Hebrew title in the wilderness, we already have our answer about right. where we are. We're in the wilderness um, and we're in the space God speaks. Yes. And there's, yeah, I mean, like, boy, I feel like full stop. Right. Consider that, that when you're in spaces that feel, because the wilderness for them isn't just 
wide open space. It's wide open space. They don't know where they're going. They don't know how mm-hmm. they're going to get there. They're uncertain, or there's a level of uncertainty about their provision. Right. It's this is not life as they've known it. Yeah. And they are okay. Sorry, where were you going? Because I just jumped in. No, I think go. Okay, so they're at Sinai still when this happens. Yes. And they've been at Sinai for two. They'll be at Sinai for two-ish. Right. You've read one. So, okay, so one to two years is one to two years. What, okay. I was digging deep on this and trying to like find the actual math and the okay. text. And I, I, they're there for a while. They're there for at least roughly a year. Okay, which we know because they've they celebrate. They're about to celebrate a second Passover. Yes, which is a year from the time they exited Egypt. Mm-hmm. Um, and while there was a little bit of wandering and journeying to get to Sinai, they're they've there, been so- here for at least a year. Or Right around it. So like, yeah, Sinai. They they leave on the fourteenth, the fifteenth of Nisan. Yep. And then it's three months, is what the text says. Right. So they're there. So they're there in Nisan. They're there for another month, and then they arrive in the third month. So it's not ninety days, sure. necessarily. Um, and the the crazy thing is, um, it's forty days from Passover. Forty days, fifty days. It's fifty days from Passover. To when Moses receives the Torah. Right. Because that's Pentecost. Um, Pentecost is not, the first thing isn't when the Holy Spirit comes down, right? They were there, there were people there celebrating Pentecost. Well, what's Pentecost? Well, Pentecost is, it's it's the festival of um, of when they receive the law, but also Shavuot. Shavuot, so it's the festival of weeks. Yeah. It's the counting of the Omer. It's the, and the first fruits. The first fruits, so, right. Yeah. yeah, so you got all, all these, these things. All these things coincide. Yeah. What's happening in the New Testament is so deeply connected to the timelines and things that are going on here, specifically in Exodus, that um, we do well to make the connections. It's funny, right. before we started recording, we were talking about like um, anachronistic stuff where we take and we impose our modern views or our mom, modern categories, the things today upon things then. And it's absolutely, to me, natural, understandable, reasonable probably even mildly helpful sometimes, but sometimes we do it and we it, we make some really big errors in mm-hmm. what's happening or what's being said. And I think Pentecost is one of those moments where we're like, for Christians, Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit comes down. And we think that's all it was ever is, you know, will be like, 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 the Holy Spirit started Pentecost. Yes, but the Holy Spirit started Pentecost thousands of years earlier in the 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 Sinai wilderness at the mountain because the right the people were there to celebrate Pentecost. Right. Yeah, they just didn't call it Pentecost then. Right, right. Well, we yeah. would read it like, "Oh, they were there and this was and they, so they called it Pentecost." No, right. it's 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 like all the things, right? Like Easter and Pesach Passover lay over each other. Right. There's all these different ways in which the story, like the cities in, in these old places, they build on each other. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so we're in the wilderness, specifically at Sinai. Um, and then timeline-wise, we're one or two years after the Exodus, <laughs> roughly. Ish. Um, yeah. But, but for sure, we're either one or two years after the Exodus, because they're about to celebrate Passover. And they're, um, if you read a little more farther ahead, they're about to leave this place. Yeah. So they've been at Sinai for either nine, ten-ish months or 
a year. What are they doing? There? Month. They've been listening to God. They've been um, they've been hearing from God, receiving the Torah, and they've been building the tabernacle. Can you imagine pausing your journey to build a tabernacle? Yeah. Like, what's the practical value of a tabernacle? Oh, I mean, we could do a whole episode on that or perhaps more. It it just strikes me that we should notice that the first, like God addresses their concerns, right. the water, um, the waters of Marah, the, the water's provided for, the bread's provided mm-hmm. for, meat's provided for, we'll read later that their clothing don't, you know, all these, the, the um, physical needs are met, yep. but then they spend a year building a place. And I love the language in... Um, the tent of meeting, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It, it It's the place where humans and the divine meet with each other. Yeah. And it's this restoration really of what has been lacking since, since Genesis three, when the humans are sent out of the garden. Yeah. yeah. They, right. There's, there's a space to meet now. Yeah. So in that, I mean, to get really simple with what is the tabernacle and why are they building it, pausing, the tabernacle is meant to be God's dwelling place um, Hmm. in this world. And when I say that, I'm not saying that God isn't everywhere because I 100% think God is. But this is for the people to have a place where they recognize that this is God's dwelling we have to remember we're in a different time, a different place, a different sure. culture. And this was a, a, a need that they had as a people to have a place that this is where God is. And so they bring, when they bring their gifts and their offerings, they're coming near to God in this place. Um, it was a way of making God approachable for them, um, especially in light of that at Mount Sinai, God offered them an opportunity to come up and hear directly from him, and they said no. So this was, God has never been about, you can't come near to me. That was a choice that the people made. And so then he was like, well, I'll build a place where I can come down that makes it more palatable to you. He met the people where they needed to be met, and that's part of what the tabernacle does and serves for them is this dwelling place. And Daniel, you mentioned Genesis 3. Um, we won't go into this today, but if you are curious, and maybe we'll do this another time, but there are so many incredible parallels between the tabernacle and the Garden of Eden, um, which, if you think about it, that was God's dwelling place among us in the beginning. So it shouldn't be totally surprising that the Garden of Eden and the tabernacle have a lot of similarities. Um I love I I just I just love how you said that right that's the dwelling place and it's it's for us I think we can get it twisted a little bit and assume that these are things that God needs which is you get yourself right like God what does God need and but yet there's a way in which 
God desires or there's, it, it's a, <clears throat> the categories break down. Right. Um, and like the sacrifices, the tabernacle isn't, a, it's not a confining of God um, because the God, like God doesn't need it. Right. <laughs> we do. Right. So it's a it's an in an it's an incarnation um, of, of of sorts. It's a God confining God's self to be encountered, perceived by humans. It's the limitless um, figuring out how to engage, or not. God's not figuring out even there, right? It's the limitless becoming yeah. um, presentable in a way in which humans can engage with. And it's this, everything's, I mean, it's a mystery how, how all that worked, but it's, it's for us, not for God. God's not, God does not need a dwelling place, neither is God confined by it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, okay, moving on a little uh, bit, or do you have anything more to add? No, I, I, what was really important for me was to pause and notice that they were there for one, two years, however long they were there. I trust your math more than mine. Torah math is hard for me. Um, and that we just noticed that there's something really particular and special that's very much tied to their future that's happening here mm-hmm. at the mountain. Absolutely. And that, and that it's, it, there's a way upon which you would think this isn't that important. Mm-hmm. Other things are more important. Right. Let's start moving. Let's do the other things. We can set the tabernacle up when we get there. But how you get... This is a journey of formation. Right. So they need the tabernacle in order to be formed into... Um, to continue to be formed into God wrestlers, to be continue to be formed into Israelites. Because who they really are at this moment is still deeply Egyptian. Yeah. Um, they'll be yeah. working that out the rest of their time in the wilderness. Well, and I'll, I'll add that... Um, so the tabernacle is kind of the thing that God uses to help guide them. Hmm. So he's still the pillow, pillar of fire by day and the... Um, or sorry, cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Um, and where that is tells the people what they're supposed to be doing. So when it settles on the tabernacle, they are to stay. Mm-hmm. And this is Numbers 9. We get into this and it's it's fascinating and fun to do a study on this, but maybe we'll, maybe we'll do a podcast on Numbers 9 someday. But briefly, when the cloud or the fire rise up above the tabernacle, that's, that's their, their sign that it's time to go. We need to pack up and we're going to move to the next location. Um, so that's why they, that's part of why they need this. And in um, in the early chapters of Numbers, so after the whole numbering, which is about getting ready to move out so we know how many people we have to fight, the next section is um, we move into what feels like should belong in Leviticus because it has to do with – we have this whole section on priesthood. Mm. Um, but there are instructions to all the different um, – members of the priesthood in the the Levitical tribe saying, okay, it's your job to like pack up the ark and it's your job to pack up this and it's your job to pack up this. They have this whole, we get all the explanation because it's about how, how we're going to move forward from this place. Um, and mm. yeah, it's just, it's, it's really cool when you think about that. And, and there's also, there's a section that tells um, in detail where each tribe is camped. Yeah. And if you if you pay really close attention and there's some really smart people who've mapped this out and like there's actual little like visual diagrams that you can see, uh, recommend maybe we can 
uh, link one of those yeah, on the show notes. Sure. Um, everyone is facing the tabernacle in the way that their tents are arranged. So in the morning, when you wake up and you come out of your tent, because this you don't stay in your tent all day like we do in our homes, um, <laughs> you come out to do life, you walk out and the first thing you see is the tabernacle because your tent is positioned in such a way that you can see it. So then you walk out in the morning yeah. and you see whether the cloud is settling on the tabernacle or whether it's raised up, which says, okay, we're staying here today or we're going. Um and you're all facing one another. Okay, I was like, man, yep. you gotta get there, right? Because like you, you're looking at this, but if you're all facing the center, yep. that means you, you, you see God, and then when you look, like you see the people. Yeah, it, it's all. Of course, and now we're into you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Uh, I have to. I cannot resist. I'm okay. sorry. So one of the, the and this is like it's so interesting how these. Um, seemingly mundane things take on a vibrancy when you give them enough time to think about them and then actualize them in the world. Part of our, I think, part of our problem is we don't want to. We don't want to act. We're just like let's get to the good stuff, right? Like Goliath and you know, you know, taking the land and crossing the like. But there's beauty and there's vibrancy in some of these more mundane things. For example. Why is there a list of who's supposed to do what, and why do you need to know who, how many people you have so you don't leave things behind? Right. Like this is practical, and anyone who's ever taken a trip with a group of people, and it's not just kids, by the way. Like I'm, uh, I'm where there's a group of us going to the Holy Land <laughs> in August, and they're adults, and they're wonderful, they're smart, they're responsible, but like I'm, I've asked for everybody's insurance. You have to have insurance to get into Israel right now. And to make sure that we have no hiccups at border control, I'm saying, I need you to all send me your insurance so I can print them and have them in my bag. So as, right? So it's like, these are actual real world practical concerns that we can all relate to. It's about it. And then what happens when it's placed into scripture is you start to recognize that there are sacred and holy ways we can do the everyday normal things we would qualify or label or categorize as mundane pieces of our life but we can do them in a way that loves god and loves our neighbor and me asking for the insurance is not me being a a, a control freak it's not me trying to like it's me trying to love and care them and help especially the first time travelers get through what can be a really stressful spot well and now you got this book that's about counting and who carries what and what you know where does you go because because the very normal parts of our lives have the possibility, the option, we have the option to turn them into deeply meaningful moments where we understand we're honoring God and we're honoring each other with yes. how we how we wash dishes. Yeah. Ah. Oh. Look at us, making numbers fun. Numbers okay. is fun. <laughs> it's more interesting than you thought. All right, so we've kind of covered uh, where we are in the story and uh, given you a maybe not so brief synopsis of numbers so far. But um, moving as we move towards the priestly blessing itself, one of the questions I was asking myself as I was reading this was, why is this here? Um, and what I mean by that is not why is this in the Bible, 
but why is it placed in this spot within numbers? And I started doing a little digging and um, there's a bit for the priests beforehand that covers the whole who's going to pack up what and be in charge of carrying what. Um, there's some stuff about the Nazarite law, um, which is an option for anyone to be consecrated before God. Um, and then following this priestly blessing, there's more instructions for um, essentially kind of with the priest. It, there's a list of everything that's offered when they dedicate the tabernacle. And then um, and then there's some instructions for the priests in how to celebrate um, the first Passover. Um, and I thought, well, this uh, this priestly blessing appears to kind of be in the center of these instructions before they move. Because right after the um, this section that feels more le- priestly or Levitical, they they get instructions on what to do and how to move in Numbers 9. And then they start moving. Um, so I looked at it, I'm like, well, this is in the middle of this section, which to me, when something's in the middle... And Hebrew um, Hebrew structure does this a lot, where it's called a chiastic structure. Um, this is exists in English as well, especially in poetry. Um, but where you like kind of have like an A B C D E and then D C B A back down, and so they form kind of a a ramp. I don't know if that's the right word to say, but um, everything flows out of that central point. So the central point tends to be the main. The main point and everything else is kind of supporting it or leading us towards it or then leading us back away. Um, and it helps us line things up. And well, so like a one, two, three, four, five, four, five, three, two, one, one, two, yeah. three, where it's not right. a it's not a loop. It's not one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. Correct. It's this back and forth like a wave a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so while I haven't done real digging in to do some comparisons of like one to one, two to two, three to three, as we build up and away. Um, I just thought that the fact that this little section is somewhat in the middle of this chunk of Hebrews, or sorry, this chunk of numbers, um, that that was meaningful. And um, as I looked into it and considered it, I was like, well, this is the main point of the priest's. Right? Uh, is to be an intermediary between God and the people. Um, and again, this is because the people themselves had said they wanted intermediaries, not because God couldn't meet with them directly. Um, I think we get we get kind of judgy at times as Christians about, well, now we can meet with God face-to-face and one-on-one, and they couldn't back then. And it that wasn't what God wanted this was that was for them because they were too afraid. So, but God, but God meets them where they're at, and that's part of this whole Levitical system. Is that is God providing a way? We already talked about this with the tabernacle. God providing them a way um, to meet with Him more directly yeah. through intermediate intermediaries. And so, this priestly blessing is God giving giving the priests a way to bless them. Because we'll get we'll get into this a little more, but in twenty verse twenty seven, God is saying, "I'm doing the blessing myself. You're just the one saying these words." Mm. Um, and so I think this is their primary role as priests. That um, it's not the sacrificial system, although that's a part of their job and what they do. It's not the packing up and transporting the tabernacle, although that's part of what they do. This is the main point. 
yeah. is being being an intermediary of God's words to the people um, so that they can be blessed. Well, and when we, if you go back to Exodus 19, you see that the, the, they were also a, a priestly people. Mm-hmm. They were... Well, yeah. Right, so... So what you really have here is the care, like those who are ta- caretaking, those who are caretaking, right? You have the ones who are priesting yeah. to the ones who are priesting. Right. Um, and they're doing, you, you know, it, you priest in different ways, yeah. um, but, it's, but it is this way of carrying the name. <laughs> right. I mean, uh, it's, it's just such a sweet thing to... And, okay, so like, I don't... Uh, I know my experience, and my experience is in generally fine, good um, evangelical churches. But like you had said, there's this way in which we sometimes get it twisted, mm-hmm. where we're like, ah, oh, we don't need that anymore. We can go directly to God. But how many people who say that actually do that? Right. Like, they they um, they want other people to tell them what to do, what yeah. to think, um, and some of that is good. Like you shouldn't do these things in isolation. We want to do these things in community, but you have this way in which it's like, you actually don't mean that what you're saying is, and I'll just say it. I think it's just anti-Catholic, um, prejudices sure. that may or may not have been gained honestly, right? Sometimes we take on other people's hurts that aren't ours. Um, and we do it in a way where it's, it's not bearing burdens with one another's, but we like, we start, almost, it's like, almost like gossip. Like you start saying somebody else's story to everybody else and pretty soon it's like but that's you don't know you yeah. weren't you weren't there you don't know so i think it's a little bit but then it's also this other way in which but also we're the body of christ we're like if that's how it works then what are we sent to do then we should just all sit on our couch and just the holy spirit or god'll do god's stuff we're the body of christ right we're the ones who are called to go into the world to remind the world of who and whose they are. Right. Um, to, to remind the world of their blessing. <laughs> well, and that, I, I wrote this down that I think this is still our job today, what we see in this priestly blessing. Yeah. If, if, if this was the job of the priests then, I think it's still the job of priests today, but we are all priests, which, by the way, they were all supposed to be a nation of priests back then. Like, yes, there was a separation of the Le- Levites as the priesthood of for the people, but even back in Exodus nine nineteen six, God says, "We are, you are a priesthood, like right. your kingdom, the kingdom of priests." Kingdom so of priests. that's not new to Christians. This was always a thing, right. um, and and I think just to reiterate what you said that if this was the job to bless the people and bring put God's name on the people and bless them. That was the job of the priest then. It is the job of all of us now right. to tell the world because before it was, I don't ever want to say it was limited to just the Hebrews because it wasn't. They like Anybody could come in and be a part of this thing. And they were meant to bless the, other, the nations of the world. Um, so they, it was one select people group that was meant to then become a blessing to all the nations. Right. And so we still need to be doing this today. Yeah. It's, which is why we're here, right? Well, and then Adam and Eve are the f- are the first priests. Yeah, and I mean, then the journey 
into even exile. I mean, this is jumping. I'm I am as uh, I'm leaping a tall building by jumping to this. But the exile then is a journey of priesthood, right? <laughs> You're ba- you you know in it's Acts one eight and Acts eight one. Um, there's a little chiastic, a mini chiastic structure. To you just in the numbering. Now the numbering is added later, but you all you know. Okay, <laughs> but one eight God says going to all you know going to Judea, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And then you get to Acts eight one, and guess where they ain't? They ain't there. <laughs> they're still in Jerusalem. They're all still in Jerusalem. Well, what happens to them? They're persecuted. And when they're persecuted, what do they do? They disperse into right. the world. And so now we have, you know, Acts one eight and Acts eight one can function as a way to understand what's happening in the exile beyond God's mad at you, so He's going to spank you into exile for mm-hmm. seventy years. Right? It's no, you're you haven't been priesting, right? You haven't been priesting to the poor among you, and you haven't been priesting to the other nations. In fact, I told you, you know, don't become don't become little pharaohs. Don't get the war horses and the chariots. And what have you done? <laughs> well, of course you've done that. That's what we do. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, Hirsch. Oh. oh, okay. Go ahead. You no, go. you go for it because right. I I have the probably the exact same quote that I wanted to say. I'm guessing I'm guessing it's the same quote. Well, what is it? You go. No, you go. <laughs> Okay. I'm more stubborn. Uh, so Hirsch um, says that the priest would have the privilege and the duty to bless the nation of Israel, both in the tabernacle and for all time. Um, they are the conduit through which God's blessing would be pronounced on his people. And he claims that this is to emphasize that the ultimate blessings are God's alone. And this passage concludes with God's assurance that he will confer his own blessing on the children of Israel. Is it the same quote? No, but... Oh, it's not. Oh, no, we got but, two but, Hirsch but quotes. But to bounce on that, he, he then says uh, they are merely repeating the blessing that was dictated to them. Mm-hmm. So now it's like, whoa, hold on. That's true. And now we have even just like a little bit of a, a foundation for the the wisdom and the history of why praying scriptures is good, both personally and in, you know, when we gather for worship and liturgy. So he says, they're merely repeating the blessing that was dictated and they're not inventing this. This is, and then he says, and only when summoned by the congregation do they pronounce it. And they pronounce only the blessing dictated to them in the name of the congregation. And then it's great. So then in truth, it's the congregation that brings upon itself the blessing prescribed by God. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. We, okay, so uh, we do this thing here um, at church on Sundays where we end with the ironic blessing every week. Yeah. And um, I invite people to hold their hands out. And so invite if you're comfortable, you know, hold your hands out, uh, open hands. You can't see them, but they're like palms up open. Um, Oren's position, I guess, would be the, the technical term. But in a posture, and so then we go through it. We go, it's a posture of receiving, because what does it take to receive? Open hands. And open hands also mean you have let go of what you've been holding on to. And, and sometimes, frequently, all the time, in order to receive something new, you have to let go of something old. But then you swish it all the way around, and open hands is also how you walk up to someone to offer them a thing. So you have this one posture that that communicates three things that are true for being people of blessings or, or people that are giving and receiving and 
and there's this fluidity. It's that you're letting go of things. You're open to having new things given, and you recognize that the th- blessings you've been given are all for you. They're just for, <laughs> they're just for you. God gives you the stuff so you can just be happy, right? That's hashtag blessed. Isn't that what that? Yeah. No, well, you are given these things to share them, to be generous with them. They're and, there's things you steward that you offer to the world. You offer to your community. Yeah. You offer to. Your... Yeah, I was. There's two things I want to point out. We're not going to do all this today. Like this today is mostly about introducing and introducing us. Introducing. I'm just making up words. Um, introducing us like to um, to this passage, and that we're actually going to get into the more heavy duty what these what this is actually saying in the coming weeks so we're gonna this is gonna be a multi-episode right study um and then another quick point of clarification because daniel you use the term ironic blessing oh yeah and i have been saying priestly it's the same thing so there's different words um so aaron. when you say the ironic blessing or the priestly blessing i mean aaron is like the the priest of all priests. He's, he's the, the high first priest. high priest. He's the first high priest, right? Um, and so it's the same thing. In case you were like, "Wait, I thought we were talking about the priestly blessing." We are. Great point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Great point. Uh, okay, should we go to that other verse, or was there more here? Uh, we can we can go to the other verse. Okay. Yeah. So um, so if we go to number six, and we're actually so okay. So this is the closest we're going to get to diving in, right? We're going to rein ourselves in because I. I could talk about this all day long. This is my favorite, favorite thing to do is talk about scripture with, with friends. Um, but verse 27 is where we're going to start this. So maybe what we'll do, should we read the whole, the whole benediction, the priestly blessing, the Aaronic blessing, and then, then dig in on. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Um, okay. So this is the NRSV number six, starting at 22 through 27. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, thus you shall bless the Israelites. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Amen. Hmm. Well, yeah. So today our plan is to not talk about the blessing itself of the may Yahweh bless you and keep you that part, but to focus on verse 27, right? Which is the why. Yeah. What's happening? happening. How's this? What's this do? So what? So for once we're starting at the end. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so, uh, what do you got? Oh, um, well, I had I have this quote from Robert Alter that I thought was great, so I'm going to share that. But um, Robert Alter says this underscores the idea that God's special relationship with Israel after the pronouncing of the threefold blessing, God's name, a kind of divine proprietorship, will be set over Israel, and God Himself will carry out the blessing. In other words, um, these are my words: they are marked in some way by this blessing with the name of God and it is God who will carry it out. Meaning I don't got to be after this. Right. I don't got to be after that blessed life. There's nothing I have to do. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, one of the things I had felt when I was reading this, 
um, was that very that very that very thing you just brought up, right? That there's nothing to be done to be earned, right? And I think about baptism. Um, I think about <clears throat> who we are. We're made in God's image, God's likeness. Um, that's it's our identity, and this is part of their identity as people who have left Egypt behind and who are becoming Israelites. This is already going to be true of them. It's mm-hmm. just a question of um, can they see the blessings? Can they see they're being guarded? Uh, especially when it doesn't feel like it. Right. Because that's the hiccup, right? The hiccup is when things don't go your way and we start to make some assumptions that when bad things happen, God's angry. Yeah. Well, and I think this is a bit of a teaser for next week, but um, we think of blessing as something that maybe it isn't, especially in the Hebrew. And um, so if you're curious about that, come back next week. Because right. <laughs> we simply don't have time to get into it today. But um, there's a lot more going on with what that means than just everything's going my way. Right. And what it takes to get it is showing up. Yeah. It's leaving Egypt and it's showing up in the assembly, in the congregation, in the gathered people. It's not showing up a certain way. (laughs) Uh, It's just leaving something behind and showing up in this new place where God has assembled and gathered you. Right. Um, I love that. I love this image of they're putting the God's name upon the children of Israel. I'm excited. Why? Uh, I don't know. It, it takes me to so many other places in scripture. Ah. <laughs> like the, the first, so who's the first person that has a mark on them? Mm, Cain. Yeah. Cain, who has just murdered his brother and, um, Received discipline. I don't want to say banished. Um, he, he's not banished. he's not banished. He's the one who goes out. It's super clear. Cain goes yeah. out from the presence of the Lord. And there's no... Sorry, this is a soapbox for me. No, I know. There, there's an entire... You read Genesis 4, and right, if you apply sort of how we think about it, um, one of the things I was taught was... And I wasn't taught this. I, I was taught, caught it, right? I observed it, or I it was implied... But basically, when you make mistakes, you have to go to timeout for uh, until you don't feel bad anymore. Okay, I'm not saying this is what we should do. I'm not saying this is true. I'm saying this is how I was formed in Christian community to think and understand mistakes was, yeah, 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 when you make a mistake, you have to ask God for forgiveness. Then you have to go to timeout and feel bad for an un- mm-hmm. un- un- unknown amount of time. Right. And then once you don't feel bad anymore, you're for- you've been forgiven everything as well, so and then beware, because the next time you make a mistake, you're going to have to go to timeout right. again. I, and God's going to stop talking to you after you've made your mistake. But that's not what happens in Scripture. In fact, no. every step along the way, God is speaking to Cain, saying, Cain, 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 right? You're going to... Don't do it since crouching at your door. Uh, you can master it. So whilst Cain is plotting... God's speaking to him. After Cain murders his brother, God's and speaking to him. And after his parents were exiled, yeah. which I, at least I grew up with, like <laughs> Adam and Eve sinned and were banished from the garden and that severed our relationship with God. But the very next like verses are God talking to Cain. 
and Abel. Like God was still in still there. a relationship with them in a way that we don't understand. They just didn't have access to the tree of life anymore. That which is there there were consequences for their actions, but the consequence wasn't God not being in relationship with them anymore. And when you look at what happens for Cain, so he has a consequence because his brother's blood is crying out from the soil. The soil is no longer going to be responsive to Cain. So that's the consequence. And because of that, because he won't be able to farm anymore until the soil, he's going to be wandering and wavering on the earth. And Cain's response to that, this is, that's what God says. Okay. You, you, the soil's not going to respond to you anymore. You will be wavering and wandering. And Cain says, here you're driving me away from the today from the face of the soil and from your face i have to conceal myself i'm like that's that's not what god says cain is putting that on himself we need to do a genesis for oh we do because i i i feel compelled (laughs) to just push a little bit further in and say that i i think there's a layer beneath this where um God has not cursed Cain. God is just telling Cain that he's cursed. And I don't think the this the, the I'm gonna use a I'm gonna use a five dollar word here. The ontology of the ground has not changed. Like the substance, the chemical, the spiritual substance has not changed. What's changed is every time Cain looks at the dirt, yep. he's gonna think, that's where my brother's blood is. I killed my brother over this. over this disagreement his blood's in the ground and by the way i'm a farmer so he's cursed in that every time he looks at it he's going to be remind he's going to be living in hell he's going to be living in a nightmare why does he leave why is he going to be what does he say he's going to be a wanderer and a fugitive because he's going to be a wanderer and a fugitive from his family because he's not going to make he's not he's demonstrating he's unwilling to make peace Mm -hmm. he's unwilling to reconcile and so god is revealing the reality of cain's what Cain's choices have done to him in this moment. Yes. Anyways, so we need to do Genesis 4, but it's yeah. like, you read it and you're like, it's not like Cain hit a button and now the ground's cursed and he's right. screwed the rest right, right, of his right. life. Yeah. Ugh, okay. And once again, so Cain, Cain is putting this on himself that God, he can't be in front of God's face. Um, so there's there's so many similarities because the face of God is in the priestly blessing and it's in this Cain. And he's like... You're turning your face from me, which God is like, I'm not doing that. That's you are the one doing that. It looks like it because you turned your face. Because you turned away. And and then God's response is that I will put a mark on you. I will put a sign on you to protect you. So even in this self-imposed exile, God is providing a mark. He's putting his name on Cain so that Cain will be... Marked by God in some way, even in his self-imposed exile. And so that that's why I went, my brain went yes. from the mark to Cain. Totally. That's the first place in scripture we have something similar happening. And it's protective and it's like the skins God puts on the humans when they leave. It's like death in Genesis 3. Like part of why God says don't, you can't be by the tree of life is so you don't live as broken Image bearers. Yep. Right. I mean, ugh. okay. Can yes. I can I now take us to the other end of scripture? Yeah. Okay. Are you leaving name? 
I'm no, I'm still in the right. I'm yes. still in the being marked or putting my name oh. on a person. Oh boy. Okay. okay. So uh Revelation. Yeah, yeah. Um Apocalypse. which we get obsessed with in our culture, thanks to Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. Um but the mark of the beast. So are you going to be marked by Yahweh or are you going to be marked by the beast? Which is empire i think and um i mean we could do, again we could do a whole series on revelation and the mark of the beast but um i don't believe this is something like um a chip in your hand or in your forehead it's that allows you to bite Sarah. It's, <laughs> thief in the night a thief in the night i think this is the who will you be marked by what mark will you let define you the mark of the world the mark of the empire or the mark of God. Hmm. Right. And I mean, even just the contrasting, the, the the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who's at the center of all of the stuff in Revelation and the mm-hmm. Apocalypse and the revealing, right? That's what this book's about. It's not about the the eventual end and destruction. It's about the unveiling of Christ. Um but right, or the or will you take a beastly mark upon yourself and mm-hmm. will you devour the things that are in front of you and have an unsatisfied appetite will you will you will you defeat your enemies through war and violence or will you defeat your enemies through um through uh how how, how Brad Jersick says it like uh, co-suffering love yeah right it's which which is it I, there's a, when getting ready for easter there's the this um man this is we'll have to figure out if we're going to if we <laughs> how, how many tangents there are but the cross is anywhere from eight to fifteen feet tall. Yeah. Like so, you look you look up like historically. So what what does it mean? And it's on a mount, right? It's on a it's it's on. It's elevated. It's elevated. So when it talks about putting all of Christ's enemies under Christ's feet, um, we think like. Boots, battle, blood, trample them down. Like let's like, eventually Jesus is going to stomp out. But how do you? How does God? How does Christ put his enemies under his feet through through crucifixion? Right. The, his victory is how he defeats death and hate and violence, and it's not through. It's not through violence. It's through. Co-suffering. It's through suffering with us. It's through right. bearing our burdens. And, anyways, right? He doesn't let. He doesn't let. He doesn't come in and power over Rome. He actually lets Rome run him over in a sense, and says, as a way of almost holding a mirror up to the world. Like yeah. this is what you have. This is what you choose. Who you are. See the violence that you have chosen, right? And I'm going to overcome it. I mean, what if that's the way right there to understand? What if that's a layer or a lens to understand everything that's happening in the Gospels with Jesus? Is it's a conversation about whose name you have on you? Like, do you have my name on you? Right. Is your is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Is your name written on the palm of my hand, or are you marked by empire? Are you marked by the beast? Are you Marked by you, you know it's the, the the switch from Palm Sunday to um, to crucifixion within four or five days. The the voice of the crowd on Jesus is yelling, 
Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, please, save us, please, to crucify. And, if, you know, we don't know if they're all the same there, but, but the shift happens. And I think one of the real easy ways to understand why the shift happens, or the simplest way, is that Jesus isn't offering liberation the way they want slash the way we want liberation. And so now we end up either making Christ in our image um, or rejecting it. Right. Walking away completely saying, well, this isn't, this isn't what I want. Yeah. There was something else that, since we're in the gospel, when you were talking earlier about the tabernacle and they, people were waiting and watching and going, all right, when do we come? When do we go? When do we stay? Where do we go? That's like discipleship. It's the, those who follow Jesus. We're, they just go where he goes. Yeah. Like he gets up, he puts on his sandals and he starts walking. And what do they do? They walk with him. Yeah. It's like, oh, what's happening in numbers is what's, Jesus is the tabernacle. He's the word made flesh that dwells among us. He's the, the Mishkan, the Shekinah. He's all of these, these pictures. Yeah. He's, Filling up. Right. Ugh. Okay. What else? what else? What do you got? I want to talk about names. Okay, let's talk about names. We kind of tipped this a little bit yeah. with a conversation um, <clears throat> we did earlier with with numbers, right? Bamidbar. And you've got the Greek way of naming, which is what's the, like, what's the surface? Well, it's all about censuses and things like that. So we'll just call it numbers. Cool. Or you have the Hebrew name, which tips to like what's ha- where this is happening and what's going on at a mm-hmm. deeper level. That this is happening in the wilderness, but also in the wilderness. And then even the Greek name, though, has some deep things if you connect it, which is, you know, Jesus, Matthew 10, he has numbered, mm-hmm. he's counted, he's censused the hairs upon your head and my head. So, right, counting is sweet and intimate. I mean, right, like he doesn't want to lose a single one. So God has numbered all of these people. Your name is written down in the book of those who are trapped. I mean, it's like, ugh, it's just, okay. Which goes back, it goes back to Genesis 15. Count the stars. Counting the stars. The stars. Or storing the Story, stars yeah. is another way to, and uh, what, I'm talking about Genesis 15, which is, um, kind of the second time that Abram receives the blessing from God. Um, so in Genesis 12, he's originally called. And then fast forward to Genesis 15, it's like 10-ish years later. I don't know. I'm not looking. I'm trying to pull it up. So this is off memory. Roughly 10 years later, um, and Abram is in the land, he's been in the land, but still has no son. And he's questioning He's questioning the calling and and what God had asked him to do because I still don't have a kid. And God appears to him and says, like, I will number the stars, which is a, one way you can put it is I will story the stars. Like, right. I'm going to tell the story of your people mm-hmm. into the future and I show this to you, um, which is just gorgeous. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, go back to Genesis 2. Genesis 2, okay. So the first time name shows up in the text is, uh, I always, uh, is the naming of the rivers. So Genesis 2, 2.11? Yeah. So you get Genesis 2.11, you get the the naming. Do you have it right there? I do. Um, The name of the first one is Pishon, 
or spreader. That is the one that circles through all the land of Havilah, where gold is. The gold of that land is good. There too are Bedevilim and the precious stone Carnelian. The name of the second river is Gihon, or Gusher. That is the one that circles through the land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hidakel, or Tigris. This is the one that goes to the east of Assyria. And the fourth river, that is Perat, or Euphrates. So I think what's helpful to notice, okay, so there's this principle, um, principle of first use, or how do you know it? The Yeah, where, when you stumble across a word in scripture, it can be really helpful to go back to the first place that it's used in scripture. Right. Okay, so the first time a word shows up in scripture does a lot of things um, f- to tell you about sort of the word, what it's going to mean. It sets the trajectory, right? The first step tells you what kind of journey it's going to be on. And this is actually not, I mean, in one level, it can be a little more mystical and you can go, ooh, this is like a, ooh. But it's also super practical, like where you start a journey, where you start a conversation sets a trajectory. Now, can you take some wild left, right hand turns? Yes, absolutely, 100%. But the first time name is used, it's and you see it here, it's to name these rivers. And what does it do with the rivers? It's telling you what's true about these rivers. It's telling you something about them. It's describing them, right? They don't, in, in the Bible, names don't function the way names function in our world. Correct. Right? It's not the sounds you make to call me. So I go, I turn around and go, yes, like, what will I respond to if you call me while I'm in the Mall of America, which I will never, I mean, not never, but never. Um, they, they tell a story. They, they tell, they describe who something, uh, what something, who something is or what it has been or what it will be. So the first time is with these rivers. And then the second time is, uh, do you know where the second time is? Not off the top of my, is it when Adam names Eve? Uh, or does he... Is that just called? No, it's t- so it's actually in 20, verse 20 oh, here. Okay. Uh, so the man, or the Adam, gave names Na- oh, to yeah, all yeah, the yeah. cattle and the birds of the air and every animal in the field, but for the man there was not found a helper as his partner. So the next time name pops up, it's when Adam is naming the animals, but what's the purpose of his naming? So that he sees that he needs, he lacks something. He sees that he lacks something, and in order to see that you lack something, you have to see what is actually there. So his naming the animals isn't being like, cow. Cow says moo. Uh, <laughs> duck. Duck says quack. Um, they're not just arbitrary sounds, but it's it, it, his naming happens in a moment of understanding, of, of learning, of knowing who and what it is. And one of the outcomes here is that, of course, he realizes there's something lacking in him. So pause. This is after God has made everything and called everything good and very good. Mm-hmm. And you have that after all of that, there are, there's still work to be done. Creation is still ongoing. Um, God, It's not like God set the world spinning and it's like, good luck, peace out. Right? Yeah. There's a thing that's lacking that still needs engaging with. So you've got, and right then the, one of the really cool questions here to like, just let your mind blow up. That's does the same thing as can God build a, make a rock so heavy even God can't lift it. That that one's less fun for me. But the question is, 
does God not know? It, does God not know the answer of whether the animal, whether Adam will find a suitable helper amongst the right. animals, or does God know? And is this a pedagogical? Is this a teaching? Is this a moment where God is showing Adam how to see? If God's teaching Adam that he needs it, right? It's one thing to tell somebody what they need. It's another person. Another. It's another. Um, it's another thing to let them experience it themselves right. and go, oh, I, I really need this. In fact, when somebody tells us what we need, we frequently be like, shh, don't tell me. Yeah. <laughs> go away. <clears throat> um, so you've got this this second time that it's used and it's used to, and you see it happening to be a deep understanding of who something, what something is or what something isn't. Yeah. Make sense so far? Yes. Okay. Now there's a third use that is really important and helpful because it actually ties all of these things together, but we have to rewind to go back to it. So it's in Genesis 2, 8. Uh, Out of the ground, the Lord God made to grow. No, and the Lord God, sorry, this is verse 8. I was reading 9. Genesis 2, 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the Adam whom he had formed. And so in that verse, both words, both of the words translated there, Mm-hmm. And put are the same words. And not only are they the same words, but they're the same consonants. It's the same word without the vowels. So in mm-hmm. Hebrew, right, words function on three-letter, sometimes two-letter roots that are voweled in different ways. And the and how you vowel them can radically alter what a word means. Right, which gets real fun in translating work because the original Hebrew manuscripts don't have vowels. Right which means many of these words can be translated several different ways. Right. So you get to have some fun. Yeah. There's some room for creativity. And I think some of that's on purpose, which I'm sure we'll have a better example of that at some point um, with something we do. Yeah. Okay. So there and put, it's it's the shin and the mem. And name is shin and the mem. Yep. Right? They're just voweled slightly different. But you see here the way that they, they, because they're voweled differently, they still share this root or they share this basis. Yeah. And so what there and putting in there or there and putting is doing is it's giving you GPS location marks about where someone is, which is really just a conversation about who something is, what something is. And so the names, that's what they do. They place things in time and space for us. They describe things in ways that we can understand them and categorize them and engage with them in meaningful ways. And so... When we're talking here about God, um, that this is a, in, in the Aaronic blessings. Now, we'll go back to number six. When we're talking about number six being the Aaronic or the priestly blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you, that being how God places, that's, that's God's name being placed on the person. Uh, you, you start to, like, recognize that God's name isn't like a... A sticker, hello, I'm God's, (laughs) which is fine and true and good and right and maybe a little cheesy, but it demonstrates it. But the placing of whose we are, putting the name on us is in our heart or our soul or it's inner. It's not an external name, right? It's not a, it's not a barcode on our forehead, right? Like some, (laughs) some have the mark of the beast, some have the mark of the lamb. It's this way in which we're to understand our identity. Yeah. Not 
some arbitrary category we belong to. Right. That's beautiful. Ah, scripture's just the best. Agreed. And now I'm wondering. Yeah, there it is again. Uh, it's the, the Shin Mem, and you shall put Shin Mem, my name, Shin Mem on them. So even in number seven there, you have... It's like name, name. Yeah, it's name, name. It's, um, you shall, uh, yeah. And then, of course, it would, we'd be remiss to not talk about, well, what's the, who, who's, who, who is being, whose name is God being placed upon? <laughs> B'nai Yisrael. B'nai Yisrael, right. The children of Israel. Um, so do we, do we have time to talk about Israel? Well, I mean, I've got. Okay. Well. All the time in the world. We'll spend, <laughs> we'll spend a couple minutes there. So Israel um, is not just the name of a land, of a small country in the Mediterranean. Um, and even here, so at this point, this is a vast group of people that are sometimes referred to as the Hebrews and sometimes referred to as B'nai Israel or the children of Israel. And if we want to go back to who are the children of Israel, well, it goes back to the whole story of how they ended up in Egypt in the first place. Um, Joshua and his brothers are the sons of Israel, um, a.k.a. Jacob. Joseph and his brothers. Sorry, yes, Joseph. Yeah, okay. What did so I, I say, Jacob? Joshua. Oh, I think you said Joshua. I, I did know. say Joshua. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Different J name. <laughs> Joseph and his brothers uh, are the sons of Israel. And therefore, all their descendants are also the sons of Israel, or the children of Israel. The, um, they're identifying themselves with their deep past by calling themselves the children of Israel. And this matters because um, of what Israel means. Um, and so Israel is Jacob. When Jacob is born, um, Jacob means um, heel grasper or usurper is some um, one way to interpret it. Um, because Jacob is born grasping at the heel of his twin brother. Um, and then his life story is one of grasping, which we could do a whole podcast on the theme of grasping at things um, as well in that theme in the Old Testament. But um, he's grasping at the heel of his brother and seeking power, and he does all these like little uh, trickery things throughout his life to try and scheme his way into getting uh, blessing and privilege of the firstborn. Um, so much so that he has to flee for his life at one point where he goes to meet his uncle Laban, where he um, gets scammed by his uncle mm -hmm. um, into marrying the wife that he didn't want. And then he ends up with two wives and two concubines, um, which creates a whole sibling dynamic and all that stuff. But many, many years later, he's coming back to the land of his father, um, Isaac, and He's about to meet his brother again, and he's scared. And at the river of Jabbok, he ends up wrestling a god-man angel. <laughs> <laughs> well, last time we talked about this, right? How, how, this, how the text will sometimes yes. shift who's what. Right. Is it God? Is it an angel? Is it a man? Who is it a man? Like, and it's this way of, amongst the things, it unsettles you. It's like, well, I don't know what's happening here. Well, of course you don't know what's happening here. Like, when you wrestle with God... Jacob doesn't know what's happening here. He doesn't know what's going to happen here. The the text is doing what like music does. You ever seen those clips lately where like 
There's a, there's a great one out right now. I know you dislike Harry Potter, Sarah. I'm just kidding. Um, where Snape, you know, it's I think it's from the first movie mm-hmm. and how he comes storming into the room and he like flicks his wand and he like, and all the drapes come. Oh, yeah. And yeah. they change the music instead of it being, you know, um, kind of broody and dark. It's like, love hurts. <laughs> and it changes the whole vibe. Yeah. Or there's like the, the Nightmare on Elm Street one with Freddy Krueger and they like, and he's like, it's it, the mu- So all, all that, all that to yeah. say, when the text does something like that, think of it like as it is a soundtrack, right? The confusion you feel shouldn't be like why is the scripture unclear like i gotta solve this i gotta rubik's cube this no just like you're supposed to be confused you're supposed to wonder about this moment and and far from saying that scripture is clear because i don't think it is um on very many things but sometimes when there's those really obscure things especially in the old testament for us sometimes when it feels the most weird to us is actually when it's most clear in hebrew sure because if within the Hebrew, it's creating hyperlinks to things that anybody who is familiar with the text would know, we just don't because they, our translators sometimes don't use the same words, so we don't make the connections that maybe the original authors hoped we might make. Um, so anyway, um, that was a long little tangent. <laughs> to, but So after Jacob has wrestled with this God-man-angel thing, um, which is a whole thing about Jacob still searching for a blessing and for his name because that's what he asks for from this god man angel um he says let me go and um the angel says let me go and jacob's response is i will not let you go until you bless me and the angel asks him what is your name and his response is i'm jacob i'm the heel grasper i'm the usurper i'm the trickster and it's the the original break with him and Esau, or where it the, where it actually cracks is he says he's Esau. Yes. So this right. like, what's your name? Is God asks? It's it's a question that has more I, meaning to it than would just be apparent. It's think uh, think of Rafiki and the sure. Lion King <laughs> asking uh, Simba, "Do you know who you are?" Mm. Nice. Like that's. I'm, I mean, that's what's happening yeah. here is like, do you know who you are? And he, he says, I'm Jacob. He recognizes that I'm not pretending to be Esau. Um, I am Jacob. I am the usurper. I'm the heel grabber. I'm the, um, and then he says, the angel responds, God, angel man. Um, that's what we should just call him from now on. The God, angel man. Yeah, God, angel man. <laughs> he says, not, not as Jacob, heel sneaker or grasper shall your name be henceforth uttered but rather as Yisrael God fighter for you have fought with God and men and have prevailed um, I'm reading from Everett Fox's translation um, or maybe would say wrestle might be a better um, a fight wrestle I mean isn't yeah. yeah for you've wrestled with God I think is how it tends to get um, translated but the to be Israel is to be a person who wrestles with God and with man and finds himself capable. Mm. So that means anybody who wrestles with God or with the things of God is Israel. Mm. Can I? Yeah. So one thing I'd be remiss to not do, uh, our friend Sarah Patton, Mm -hmm. every time Israel comes up, Jacob Israel comes up. She she reminds 
that Jacob grasping the heel can also be understood, right? It's all of the things. It's heel. He's, it is heel grabber. It is usurper. But it also demonstrates a, a desire to be connected. Yeah. Right. It's like um, dudes. What do you know? High school boys do, um, or sons do to their fathers or father. You know what? What's the male? A typical male move is to like punch, hug, wrestle because physical intimacy is culturally complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least that's so. There's this community connection thing that that he do, also doesn't want to be alone or can be understood with that. Um, and um, when we're talking specifically about this moment in number six, the, the, uh, the name Israel or what, who, who is an Israelite has shifted. Yes. Because the Israelites are now those who have left Egypt. It's not who your mother, it's at this point in the story, of course your mother and father, right? Like you're more disposed or whatever, but it's a, it's Exodus twelve thirty eight. It's a mixed multitude, which is, he, it's it's those who are descended from uh, Abraham and those who descended from somebody else. But you're an Israelite if you leave. Right. If you leave Egypt, you are considered. Now, there's some more things in there. There's some circumcision. There's, you know, but, yep. but that's who this group is. And I'm reminded of Jesus talking. It's John. I looked it up. I don't remember this, but I looked it up. It's John 8, 39. They say Abraham is our father. And Jesus says, if you are Abraham's children... Um, you'd be doing what Abraham did. And what we are shifting into is who you are is less a construct constructed by who you were born to, which has a right. It, it, it has implications, sure. but it's who you're following. It's right. the question isn't who's your mom and dad. It's, did you leave Egypt? Right. It's, it's, and that's where so the so the, the God wrestlers are the ones who wrestle with God and humanity and are capable. It's people who have gone through a transformation or a tra- like they are no longer who they were. In fact, heel grabbing sounds like a wrestling move. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways I've yeah. always kind of bet like this is it's God redeeming, restoring, saving, healing Jacob's broken identity right. into a healed identity. It's right. It's like. It's what God's always doing. It's what Jesus is always doing. It's it's right. healing. It's transforming. And you have this just beautiful moment where you see that it's it's about who we who who, who we follow. Do we follow the tabernacle? Do we follow Christ? Do we follow the divine in our lives, or do we follow the beasts? Do we you know do we become beastly? And you had said something uh, when you went to Genesis fifteen, and you were talking about numbering his descendants and the generations. And it just like clicked for me, like, this is that moment. Yeah. Or, or this is one of those moments, right? Like in numbers, can you count? It's the numbering, but also Joseph, uh, Jacob, Israel is a descendant. He's one of those stars. He's one of those grains of sands. Mm-hmm. And so are you. Yep. And so am I. Right. Ah. It's so great. And I think uh, for me, this uh, looking at the name Israel is just always this great reminder that if you're questioning and wondering and wrestling with God or the Bible and trying to understand it and make sense of all of it, maybe make sense of how you've been taught to think about the Bible, if you're wrestling, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Amen. God doesn't want or need us to just blindly follow um, because we were told we had to. Mm. 
he wants people who are willing to wrestle and to ask the tough questions. Like, that's how we know we're really in it. Hmm. And, and it's not a bad thing. I had, a, I had an interaction with somebody yesterday and they were unfavorable to an idea I presented and they were unfavorable to an idea that I presented in a way that I was not anticipating from them. That was a little bit outside of like their normal way of being. Okay. So I was a little shake. I was like, Ooh. <laughs> so afterwards I, I asked, I, w- I just let it go and then was like, Hey, what's going on? And, and I was so happy when what they said to me was, Oh no, nothing's wrong at all. In fact, the opposite's true. Please take that I told you exactly what I was thinking and entered into it a little bit more with you as as I trust you. Yeah. That I can I cannot have to guard myself or or limit or filter this part of myself with you. And I think that is like a demonstration of God's heart here too, which is like don't you don't have to pretend and you don't have to if you're wrestling, wrestle. Yeah. Right. It's God's interested in us being fully before God. Cause it's not like if you hide right back to Genesis, <laughs> where are you? Does God not know where you are? No, these questions are for us. Yeah. And it's about bringing our full selves before God. Yeah. While we went, um, we went on a journey. We did. <laughs> Welcome to the way our brains work. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to ping pong all over our scripture. <laughs> it's like a, a healthy, ins, uh, inspired in the terms that I feel inspired, frenetic. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. At least I didn't sing any show tunes today. That, yeah. that would be nice. Oh, shoot. Nice. He just did it. Okay. 